Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. I wanted to have adventures. I wanted to, like, have a pair of balls and be, like, a male writer. But I also asked my parents, like, are you okay with me taking the car into Baja, California? And I am a person who grew up in Annapolis who identified as, like, punk, goth, raverish, which is a thing. Look it up in the 90s. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I'm Jessica Hinken. And this week on the podcast, Girls Gone Wild, you are going to be hearing two stories from two people that you're kind of familiar with if you are someone who listens to this podcast. And these stories are of adventurous nights from their past. Let me emphasize from their past. You mean five minutes ago. Before we get started with the first story, um, we want to thank Mend Acupuncture, which offers enjoyable and low-stress acupuncture sessions starting at $35. Find them at their three locations in Baltimore, and they will take good care of you. So this first story is by a very neurotic, very uptight, and beautiful I mean, a good good girl girl who's trying to be bad, um, who's trying to step way out of her comfort zone. And um, these events then occur. And that storyteller's name is Laura Wexler. Give it a listen. Oh, my God. The first storyteller's me. (laughs) So Laura and I, we've never done this. We threw our names in both of us because we were like, well, just in case no one and LW and I was going to, yeah. I was going to, I wanted Jessica to pick it From, up and be like, who's LW? No, it and would immediately be like, it's Laura, up. but I'm so excited. Okay. So we're going to hear Laura Wexler's right. story about nightlife. I feel like people will think this is an elaborately constructed show just for me to be the center of tension, but it's really not. So when I uh, graduated college. I really want, I hope I got to watch the three minutes. All right. You can ding me if you want to. Um, I really wanted to travel around and get material for being a writer because I had read on the road and I wanted. (laughs) All right. Um, I had read on the road and I wanted to do the same thing. So I had a friend, we graduated, we worked over the summer, and then um, in the fall, after so this was 1993, so I'm aging myself, um, we went out to an Indian reservation in South Dakota, and we worked there for a couple months, and um, I wrote a lot of really terrible poems um, about being there, and we finished our time there, and then we sort of set out camping all over, and Everywhere we went, honestly, people were like, what are you doing? You're these two young women. Why are you out, like, just rambling around? And, like, the more I got asked, the more it enraged me that people were surprised or couldn't understand why two young women would want to be out, like, rambling around, like, doing the thing that, you know, so many legendary men and male writers had done. 
Um, and so I was even more determined to have adventures and gather material. So um, I guess it was, must have been like late November, early December um, of 1993, we decided to go to Baja, California. Um, and so we were driving around in my um, Toyota Camry station wagon that had been supplied by my parents. And by the way, they were paying my health insurance and doing all this other stuff so I could, quote, adventure. Um, and so the thing about driving into Mexico is that, you know, you have to have a special license. You have to do all this stuff that I guess. And there's always this chance that, like, you're going to be hijacked by bandits and potentially kidnapped and stuff like that. Or there was at the time. Probably still is. So I wanted to have adventures. I wanted to like have a pair of balls and be like a male writer. But I also asked my parents, like, are you okay with me taking the car into Baja, California? Um, And they were not. They were not okay with that. My parents are extremely security conscious. And they could only think of bad things happening if I took the car into Baja, California. So... Instead, what we did was leave the car on a street in San Francisco and, uh, no, not in San Francisco, San Diego, and get on a bus and um, travel 12 hours um, down into the peninsula of Baja, California on a bus, which would have been a lot of material, but I get extremely motion sick. So it was terrible. It was hell. But anyway, we got there and it was off season. So no one else was there. It was just me and my friend looking, you know, we stuck out. She had red hair and freckles all over. I, you know, look like I do. And, um, there was nobody in town. It was a small village called San Felipe and which I think like ballooned when there were people there, but there was no one there, but there were two. So we went out for a bar to a bar. We got a hotel, put our stuff there, went out to a bar And we met two American guys who were in town and we proceeded to just get really, 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 really drunk on tequila. Um, Very drunk. And I'm sure that we were the complete assholes and just stupid fools. Um, And when I woke up the next morning, after I projectile vomited all over our bathroom, I realized that... My purse was gone, and in my purse was my passport, uh, my car keys for my car back in San Diego, and the plane tickets that I was using to fly home for Christmas, and then I was going to return back to my adventure. Um, These were paid for by my parents, so all that was gone. So, and I was hungover like you don't believe, like you just could not believe. So, I we went to the police and they of course asked us like, who were you with? Who could have done this? And we mentioned that we were with these American guys. And so they were immediately glommed onto that. And I believe the American guys may still be in a Mexican prison as a result of that. I'm kidding. Sort of. Um, But in any case, I had no passport, no money, no key. I mean, this was exactly what my parents had said was going to happen. And I couldn't think of anything to do but go back to the U.S. Um, And so that day, again, after like tequila, vomiting, I mentioned, I think, that I motion sick and get motion sick anyway, got on this bus, 
like horrible bus ride back to California where like you were like at this, the bus was on the side of a cliff and all you looked down and all you saw was the carcasses of the previous buses that had fallen off the cliff, the cliff. And I got home and my parents, I called my parents. I told them what happened. They were very disappointed. And they, but they gave me the, they, they bought a new flight, a new ticket so I could go home. And so I flew home. I had like a normal holiday. Then we flew back. And the thing that I realized is like all, all I wanted was to have all these adventures, but I really couldn't, I really wasn't good at having adventures, to be honest. I, I really couldn't like go that crazy. Like I could do stupid stuff, but I actually couldn't like, I wasn't Kerouac. Like I was Kerouac if he had like still wanted to really please his parents and not get in trouble, you know? So that's my nightlife. And really I couldn't drink tequila for so many years. Um, and I do think those guys are fine. I think they're, they're fine. They must've gotten back. So that's my story. Okay. So yeah, that was me. That was then. This is now. I'm <laughs> much more wild now, actually. I really am. Yeah, um, yeah, I have like the reverse of you, Jess. Like yeah. you were wild and now you're pretty tame yeah. and I'm just out of control right now. Yeah. Before we get on to our next story, we want to thank Baltimore Magazine. You can find them on the newsstand and at baltimoremagazine.com. They've got all the news about the latest indictments in Baltimore and <laughs> um, restaurants and all that jazz. So check them out. Okay. So this next storyteller, you know, she, she means well, she tries hard. <laughs> Things don't always turn out well for her. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a listen. Okay. So I'm a person who uh, comes alive at night. And this was especially so in college, which I think is now I'm realizing I'm saying that as if <laughs> I'm a unique individual. I think that's most <laughs> fucking college people. So, okay, forget that. So, but it, it's, it's college and it's, um, it's 19, it's 1993. And I am, I'm the first person to go to college in my family. So like, no one really knows, like, no, I've gotten zero guidance. And I'm at a state school. I'm at UMBC. It's a fine school. It's fine. At the time, it was fine-ish. It was not great. And now it's much better. But, like, I was in college. It's great. I grew up in Annapolis, so I'm um, hanging out a lot in Baltimore City, uh, which feels very exotic uh, for someone who grew up in Annapolis. And I am a person who grew up in Annapolis who identified as, like, punk, goth, like raverish, um, which is a thing. Look it up in the nineties. It's an amalgam. I was that amalgam. So, uh, and, um, and the rave scene in Baltimore in the early nineties, it was a big scene. It really truly was. And so I, um, there's a day where I get word with some friends that there's going to be a rave and the way back then, because there were no cell phones and, um, 
um, people had computers. I didn't know them personally. I went to UMBC. So um, I, we uh, needed to go to a record store in Mount Vernon to obtain the rave tickets, which we did. And, um, and then we proceeded to get ready for the rave. Um, so a rave, for those of you who don't know, is an all-night dance party. Um, they were big in England, and then they came into uh, the States um, in late 80s. So this is like they're at their prime. And so we get the directions for where it is. No idea where I'm going. Uh, but I do know that I have to look on point, which was not a phrase back then, but it was a phrase that I'm using now. So um, I got my raver uh, pants on, which was, I was tiny, so I had like um, tiny waist, big fucking flared pants, um, like uh, white tennis shoes that had like heels like this. I don't know why. They were Vans. Um, and then I had some sort of like t-shirt tucked in. Uh, the t-shirt was like I don't know, like uh, like the guy who who ran a race. Um, I can't remember what it is. It's a name. It's a Japanese guy. I, I can see it. I don't know who it is. I didn't know who it was then. I just was like, this is what I'm supposed to wear to a rave. Uh, hair in uh, ponytails. And also a body that was pristine in the form of like, I did not do drugs. I was not like a big drug person in high school. So I came into this rave with the expectation this is going to be the first time that I did acid. It was like a big deal. It was a big deal. And I had a keeper. I had this guy named Bob who was supposed to take care of me. Bob was at the time like kind of like asexual. Um, turns out not to be true. Um, but like that's what he was supposed to be. He was going to take care of me. And, um, and so uh, we went. And um, it's Baltimore, which is pretty close to Annapolis. And so I see someone immediately, because it's Baltimore, that I know from Annapolis. And uh, actually, let me back up. We get to the rave, and it's in this industrial warehouse in Baltimore, which I'm now sure I've driven by like 45,000 times, but I could not tell you where we were. In the middle of an industrial park, um, we got let in. And whoever did these raves at the time had mega fucking cash because the light shows and the sound systems were insanely good. This was like the best dance party. You talk about like, it was insane. It was, so, so we got there at around 11 p.m. It was already packed. And it was packed in a really, at the time, diverse way. It was not just white kids. It was like, at the time, I would call it a Benetton ad, which I didn't know like was a thing. Like, I just didn't know from Annapolis. I was like, this is amazing. And everyone is dancing and the the lights are beautiful and I immediately go to the back just to kind of like scope out with Bob and I see someone I know from Annapolis who's running the snow cone machines Bob says here's your tab okay you're gonna have one tab and I'm gonna check back in on you in a half hour and I'm like okay this is really exciting put the tab I don't remember what I did with the tab now I, I think I ate I don't know put it on your tongue 
I'm not a big acid person. So obviously, you'll know why after this story. So, um, so then I see the snow cone guy. It's a guy that I knew from Annapolis, like I said, a thousand times. And he is like, would you like a snow cone? I was like, oh my God, it's so nice to see you. Absolutely, I want a snow cone. I'm doing acid for the first time tonight. And he's like, that's so fun. Here's a snow cone. So I get the snow cone and I'm eating and it's blueberry snow cone. I love blueberry snow cone. I forgot that I love blueberry snow cone. So I've got my acid tab, eating my blueberry snow cone, like seeing people like in my ponytail and my like big shoes and my big pants. And then I go back to the snow cone guy and I was like, oh my God, you're still here. And he's like, absolutely still here. Would you like another snow cone? Yes, I want another snow cone. So I now have my tab of acid, my two snow cones, which it Turns out, we're both dosed with acid. Yes. And I can't find Bob fucking anywhere. And it is now just a sea of people. And it proceeds to be a sea of people for literally the next 12 hours. And I quickly become the person at the rave that everyone's like, avoid her (laughs) because I am like nothing, nothing is static. Everything is fluid. People's faces coming up to me. I'm like, I can't look at you because your face is just like, it's just, it's just dripping. Your face is dripping. And then I'm going up to people like, Hey, do you have any idea how long an acid trip uh, is supposed to last? Because I don't, I don't, I don't want this to be going on anymore. And like, like going up to other people and being like, do you have any remedies for like an acid trip? And it's a nightmare. And then I eventually at like six in the morning, I find the door to go outside. I'm like, I'm going to get outside. I'm going to go, I'm going to figure out how to get home to Catonsville. So I like open the door and it's a rainy It's a rainy night, and so it's become a rainy morning. And so the cars in the parking lot are just puddles of paint, beautiful puddles of paint. And I close that door, and I'm like, fuck that shit. I'm never getting out of this. Bob finally finds me. Bob has had a very fun night on ecstasy in which he has had sex with multiple genders. And he says to me, are you okay? And I was like, I'm in a corner. <laughs> I feel like a rusted Campbell soup can has been slowly dragged through my bloodstream by a tiny cherub child. I'm on <laughs> the floor of an industrial park. I'm not fucking okay, Bob. <laughs> so he scoops me up and we go back to our, like, apartment in Catonsville where everyone is going to meet up. And he's like, what do you want to watch? What's going to set you right? I was like, I need to watch Empire Strikes Back. Because that, I just need, I need to know something. And I know that movie. And so for that entire Sunday, this group of like ragtag friends sat and watched Empire Strikes Back on repeat with me like six times and tried to get me to eat. And I was like, food is wrong. 
And then that Monday, I went to class and I was like, I'm good with never doing acid ever again. That's my night story. Poor you, like you do not do well in altered states. Oh my God, I hate them so much. And every time, I mean, it's not like I try that many times, but you know, I'll be like, why not guys? Yeah, it's been 10 years, why not? (laughs) And then it just end up in that same old scary place. (laughs) So don't do drugs, kids. Um, This was a very, a very big deal for us to share these personal stories with you listeners. Well, mine's really just about um, projectile vomiting. (laughs) So I actually end up looking better than you in this. Um, That's our stories. And before we get out of here, we want to thank the Wine Source, which is a awesome wine, beer, and snacks supplier at 3601 Elm Avenue in Hamden. Please visit us at stoopstorytelling.com to learn about upcoming shows or listen to stories from our archive. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoop Storytelling Series. And thanks to Maureen Harvey for producing and to y'all for listening. We'll be back soon with more stories from the street. Yes. Yeah.